0: Welcome to episode 12 of Jesus and the Meteorologist. My name is Kevin Kukaji, and I am your host. Our subject is discernment, and our aim is to teach, to elevate your minds and to exalt your courage, to accelerate and animate your industry and activity, and to excite in you an ambition to excel in every capacity, faculty, and virtue. Our mission is to inspire young men and women and their parents to understand the present in order to prepare for the future, a task that necessarily demands a proper interpretation of the past. Our aim is to highlight the antithesis between the way of the Lord and the ways of the world, between the truth of Scripture and the opinions of men, so that we might reflect the light of life in a culture of death. Well, last week after we finished recording, I was speaking with our icebergs here about how I've been looking for a way to introduce our little straw man prop who lives in my briefcase he's kind of a cute little fellow don't you think and while he surely enjoys the company of the other teaching tools in my bag like this bell this cute little fork that um i got at some affair where i was picking up little meatballs or little hors d'oeuvres It's a fork's only about two inches long or this hockey puck i've got multiple hockey pucks from every pittsburgh penguins game i've been to this one again from last or from 2 years ago ppg when penguins beat the predators this soap with the hole in it that i think we've used i don't know if we've used on this program i forget but we've definitely used it in class before and this pink glove kind of like michael jackson wearing one one white glove for no apparent reason i could wear this little pink glove that uh, penelope had on before the program but i think our little straw man here is as anxious to get um, on this show, and to make an appearance as I am to find a means of making him relevant. Well, oh, little fella, it was almost your day today, but boop, back into the <laughs> briefcase <laughs> for another week because there's a more pressing topic we need to discuss.
1: Do you feed him? A, he looks a little skinny. <laughs> he is skinny.
0: No, I do not feed him.
2: I'm sad.
0: Nice. All right, today we're going to examine the consequences of some of the exchanges. That are being made in our culture. In fact, we'll talk about it this week and next week. But for background, <laughs> while well, the giggling dies down, <clears throat> My Penelope's going to Penelope's <laughs> gonna fall off her chair here.
2: <laughs> All right.
0: <laughs> for background, can I give you some background? I want to tell you a story about an airplane, a large commercial airliner, actually, filled with passengers and flying at a cruising altitude headed west across the continent. In mid-flight, hours away from its projected destination, the aircraft begins to descend. While one of the pilots exits the cockpit to speak with a flight attendant, a passenger using the restroom at the front of the plane happens to get a glimpse into the cockpit where he recognizes that the throttles to both engines had been pulled back to about 25% power. This passenger was curious and a bit alarmed as he overheard the pilot explaining to the head flight attendant that the plane had slowed and begun to descend mid-flight not because of weather conditions or mechanical failure, but because the pilot has intentionally throttled back the power in order to reduce the plane's carbon footprint. The aircraft is now hurtling toward the Earth under the careful direction and expert administration of university-trained, peer-reviewed pilots operating under the illusion that flight can be sustained while abandoning the old ideas of thrust to focus on new priorities. At first, the plane's power is trimmed imperceptibly. A few discerning passengers feel it, but their concerns are quickly dismissed by fashionably attired flight attendants. The engines are then completely idled, giving pause to the majority of passengers and inducing a group of leaders to demand an explanation from the cockpit. These discerning passengers are forcibly detained and aggressively returned to their seats under instructions to buckle up and wear your mask, followed by a curt announcement from the cockpit that all passengers are to remain seated and quiet. This is followed a few minutes later by an impersonal message from the head flight attendant advising passengers that, despite the appearance of things on the ground growing larger in their windows, The experts in the cockpit are uniquely qualified to deliver the aircraft and all of its passengers safely to a destination chosen by these highly educated flight technicians at a time and in a manner prescribed by them in their discretion. The flight attendant continues her monotonic dictum by reminding her captive audience that a safe and peaceful flight, quote, takes all of us, end quote, inviting the passengers to push the call button above their seats to alert the flight crew of any offensive comments made by fellow passengers concerning dangerous terrain ahead. After a now smaller but more vocal core of discerning passengers begins shouting desperately that the plane is going to crash if sudden corrective action is not taken, one of the flight administrators gently announces from the cockpit that all window shades were to be closed for the remainder of the flight in order to prevent further passenger incitement and dangerous misinformation from disrupting the majority of Sikh captives who seek only a peaceful coexistence with their fellow captives under the protection of the well-meaning, university-trained flight administrators, who, by the way, should never be assumed to be operating other than with the best interest of their captives in mind. One passenger at the back of the aircraft continued to resist, leaving his window shade open in order to observe, document, and warn the other passengers of impending doom screaming at the top of his lungs to anyone who would listen that the plane's engines had now been dropped off and were falling to the earth faster than Marxists could topple the statue of George Washington. (laughs) Frustrated by this non-compliant problem in row 29, the flight crew, with the willing assistance of 20 or so captives who declare themselves ambassadors of peace, throw open the rear door of the aircraft and forcibly remove the disturbance sending the last measure of accountability hurtling toward the not-so-distant earth below. And with that little inconvenience behind them, the ambassadors of peace pull down the shade in row 29, allowing the majority of captive audience to return to noodling on their phones, or whatever it is they were doing, under cover of total darkness. Others, now relieved to be finally undisturbed by the dangers of misinformation, and no longer interrupted by the uncomfortable roar of the engines that previously mounted the wings, descend in silence, dreaming of peaceful sleep. When we return, our students will enter the offices of Hypothesis to discern some of the lessons and warnings from this sobering tale. You are listening to Jesus and the Meteorologists. So I wrote a little book all the way back in 2009 to address what was happening in America and what was likely to happen if we did not take corrective action. Unfortunately, too many of my predictions are coming true. The only surprise is the speed at which we have reached the precipice. The title of that little book is The Experts, and you can buy it on our webpage. Just go to jesusandthemeteorologist.com, click the image of the little brown book, and we'll send it to you for only $9.99. And then be sure to let me know what you think. Welcome back to Jesus and the Meteorologists, a weekly squidget devoted to the topic of discernment. My name is Kevin Cookagee and I am your host. With me today in the studio again are, and let's go right to left this time, Winnie, Roger, and Penelope. Winnie, Roger, and Penelope, welcome back. Thank you. Let's thank you. get right I'm into think the... i something else to say other than thank you for having us. Oh, well, I, I like want to say, I bad. wish you guys would stop coming. <laughs> <laughs> okay,
1: peace no, out. No, I was going to say,
0: yeah.
2: No. Thank you for having us.
0: You're welcome. Let's get into the offices of hypothesis. We're going to enter with our official sound. We are now entering the...
2: Offices of
0: hypothesis. Our hypothesis this week is actually more of a question, but here it is. The story of the airplane that I read prior to the break, is it true? I'll ask it again. The story of the airplane that I read prior to the break, is it true? Penelope.
1: Like true to our world today?
0: Answer the question.
2: Yes. <laughs> this is a hard question to answer. <laughs> the, is it true? Um, this is different. Most questions are a yes or no answer. I think this involves a little more discussion. Yeah. Okay.
0: That was Roger's lawyer-like answer. Winnie? I think
1: that um, it, while the story may not actually have happened, there are definitely um, parts of it that you can see in the world today.
0: All right. I got to give you guys a go horn for that. Because the answer is both. <laughs> right? oh, so it, I was wrong. The story. Of, <laughs> no, you were half right? You, you hesitated. You knew what you wanted to say. The story is obviously not true in the sense that this event did not actually occur in time and space, but it is true in what it conveys. Because it's a, as we talked about in pre production, it's called a what?
1: An allegory. It's an allegory. allegory,
0: right? Which is a literary device employed to reveal something true through use of fictional events, circumstances, characters, and whatnot. Okay. So. Can you identify the things that are true from this allegory? Anyone?
1: Well, as the um, passengers get on the plane, they have all the freedom in the world. They're uh, well, not all the freedom, but um, they're in charge of what they're doing. They're the ones who decided to get on this plane. The plane is taking them somewhere. But as the story goes on, they lose that freedom, and they're the plane is the one in charge, and the pilots as well.
0: And the flight attendants and even some of the passengers, right? Yes. How does this relate? It sounds like you're trying to make an analogy or a parallel to what you see in our world today. Can you be more specific?
1: Well, I see that especially with our government. Um, we used to have a lot more freedom than we have today. And now it's slowly being taken away. And it's not just one little piece so that. Oh, it's okay. We're just going a little slower or we're just going down a little bit. It's not an immediate jump to, like, faceplaning into the ground. Um, But we're we're losing more and more of our freedom, and you can see that in the story.
0: And so you you hit on something, and that is the gradual nature. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Tell me about the gradual nature of what happened on this plane and what has happened in our society in the past couple of years. Now, historically, something that happens in a couple of years is very, very fast. Yeah. But— I think we saw it in increments. What happened in this plane in increments? And can you draw a parallel to the increments that we've seen in our society over at least the last couple of years, if not the last couple of decades?
2: Yeah, just focusing on the last couple of years, you know, March 17th or March 13th, just two weeks to flatten the curve. That sounds just like, oh, we're just pulling back the throttle just a little bit. You know, maybe the story starts off with the throttle back at 25%, but maybe that's even halfway in the story, maybe the beginning of the story is the throttle back at ninety percent and then the throttle back at seventy five percent and then eventually gets down to twenty five percent so that this um slowing down of the airplane is a little more gradual, and you know they don't throw the person off the plane, they don't throw the one guy who has his window shade open, they don't throw him off the plane right out right out of the gate. no pun intended <laughs> um because the three because I, I suspect many passengers would be alarmed by that. Um, but they slow down the plane and then they cut the engines and then they literally cut the engines off the airplane and then they're hurtling towards the ground and they close the window shades and then then they throw the guy off the airplane. Um, but again, yeah, all these steps, they only achieve the, I guess, the pilot's ultimate purpose, assuming he is the one ultimately in control in this situation. Um, they only achieved his purpose in this certain order. If he was to do it in a different order, I bet more passengers would
0: interject, more passengers would right. he didn't not po- comply. Yeah. As you point, he, did, he didn't make the immediate decision. And I think when when he hit on this too, he didn't drive the plane right into the ground. He did it gradually. And by doing it gradually, you had a section of the aircraft, a lot of the people who just said, oh, don't bother us with what might really be going on. We just want a peaceful flight, right? Mm-hmm, Even mm-hmm. to the extent that they don't want to be bothered by the roar of the engines. Who cares if they're off the plane and they're falling to the earth? At least they're doing it silently while they can play with their phones. Well, what does this allegory reveal about decisions being made by those who at least the world would identify as our political business and church leaders today?
2: Can
0: Can you ask that question again? What is it that this allegory reveals, if anything, about the decisions being made by those who are our political leaders, our business leaders and church leaders today? Is there anything that they do that... Is in a parallel, passion, a parallel path to the activities we've seen on this airplane.
1: Well, you can definitely see with the whole um, COVID problem, it didn't start, it started on the plane with just, oh, we're just trying to save the world and, you right. know, carbon footprint, the right? Carbon footprint, yeah. <laughs> and um, with COVID, it was, oh, we're just trying to keep everyone safe. So all you do is have to wear a mask, all you do is have to, you know, get a shot. Oh, it's just a booster shot. You know, what's going to be the next step?
0: Right. Um, So all of this, I think, demonstrates the foolish exchanges that have been made. And that's the the topic I really want to focus on now and zero in. What are some of the things that have been exchanged in this allegory? And what are some of the things that we exchange in real life? I'll give you one to get started, and then we can go from there, right? In the story... The story begins with the pilot exchanging the well-known and, and long-practiced long um, aerodynamics, right? What keeps a plane in the air? The design of the wing and the thrust. He decides he's going to take one of those out of the equation for his bigger priority, which is to reduce his carbon footprint, right? This is, a, this is an incredibly dangerous exchange because it puts everyone at risk, including the pilot's. So with that in mind, what are other things that we might exchange? And what were they willing to exchange on the plane, uh one thing for another?
1: They're willing to exchange their freedom cuz they weren't they're going to die like when they crash, but they're just like, "Oh, just as long as nobody's bothering me and just having my own time, like" I don't have to worry about that. Oh, whoops, I'm dead now. (laughs)
0: Yeah, man. (laughs) That's a massive exchange, right? They're willing to exchange the very continuation of their lives for so long as they can live the rest of their lives in peace and security, no matter how brief, right? Don't bug me. I want to be on my phone. Don't disobey the experts in the cockpit or the experts who are working for the airline with us just let leave me alone, right? Mm-hmm. And you even have a group of people who are willing to participate and facilitate that uh, for the authoritarians in the cockpit, those ambassadors of peace, which have a rather ironic name, right? What kind of peace huh. are we talking about? Peace in your grave, I guess, huh. for some. Okay. So we were exchanging on the airplane. That's what they've exchanged. What, how can you draw that out now into what you see in our culture? What are some of the concepts or features of our uh, in our culture that are being exchanged one for another well exchanging our freedom for so-called safety okay so we're exchanging real liberty for wouldn't you call it an illusion of security
1: Mm -hmm. yeah because Mm -hmm.
0: when someone says to you at starbucks be safe first of all what do they mean be safe from what covid yeah one thing right are they concerned about my safety from foreign invasion
1: No. That's brought about from this
0: hyper-focus on spending all of our money on personal protective equipment. Are they really concerned about my health? Would they care if I die of cancer? No. Do they check my pulse and heart rate? Do they care if I have a heart attack? Yeah. How come it's only
2: within the past two years that they've said, be safe? Right. Do they care about how fast I drive my car?
0: Probably not once I leave the parking lot. care about overdosing on coffee. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they certainly don't care about my heart if they're serving me coffee, right? (laughs) Even though I'm not one of those people. I want, It's funny. I one time had a, a, a coffee attendant, a barista bar friend at Starbucks a number of years ago, who told me that she drank every day a, um, what's the biggest one? Venti. Venti, Venti mm. with quad shots added. So she got a Venti coffee with four espresso shots added every I she, day. I thought wow. she had four Ventis a day. No. Okay. But anyway, it's <laughs> still a lot. <laughs> Either that's, way, that's I can't lot. imagine how tight her arteries must be and her intensity. She, she was talking on the other side of that. She hadn't done that anymore. But, um, but clearly, they're not concerned about being safe from those health conditions, right? Safety about one thing. How about opportunity? Let's talk in the world of so-called equality that we hear a lot today. Have we not exchanged equality of opportunity... For the illusion or the vain hope that everyone can experience equal outcomes, true or false? Sort of a sub-hypothesis. Yeah, true. true. Okay, how so? I mean, what do people mean when they say, I want equality? Because remember, our country was founded on equality of opportunity, right? Equal before the law, Mm -hmm. equal before God. But that's been perverted into meaning now just equal results regardless of whether you put in the time or the effort, right, mm-hmm. equal results, which always makes me think that I think people really mean by that so that they can get what they want by appearing to be concerned for others, yeah. right? Give me the same thing, oh, we want equality. Well, really, it's it's more of a vengeance.
2: Well, yeah, and it's kind of laziness. I want, to, I want to have what so-and-so has over there without doing all the work that he or she put into it.
0: Right. Yeah, yeah I'd like to be... Uh, paid like a professional football player. I'm not fast enough, big enough, or strong enough to be able to do that, but uh, give me his salary because that's just not fair. I want to live in a giant house like some rich guy, but I don't want to do the work or have the job to to get me there, right? Which is also, it exposes the fact that we're just exchanging clear thinking overall, right? Which is, as we, we've talked about before, is rooted in God's revelation, for this incoherence of our pretended autonomy, right? And the inevitable contradictions that arise from the illusion that man is the measure of all things. And when we make man the measure of all things, we can't then account for any kind of consistency or moral order. Um, And then finally, I think we've exchanged the reality that only God can provide for us with this illusion that we can provide for ourselves, and having repeatedly failed in that mission, instead of repenting and actually returning to God, We've chosen the illusion that government or other men can provide for us. Mm -hmm. And when that illusion disappears, as all illusions do, who will finally turn to God? That is my question. Well, we don't have sufficient time today, but next week we're going to examine why people make these terrible exchanges of good for bad, truth for lies, and reality for illusion. When we return, we will take questions from our listeners. This is Jesus and the Meteorologists. There are citizens in Tennessee working to reclaim the practice of self-governance in our state and ensure that a constitutional, Republican form of government is preserved to future generations. We are Tennessee Stands. Do you want to get off the sidelines and learn how to stand for liberty in your community? Join us at TennesseeStands.org and on social media at Tennessee Stands. Welcome back to Jesus and the Meteorologist. My name is Kevin Kukaji, and I am your host. As a message to our friends outside this studio, please remember to post your questions now on Discord so that we can engage with you. I do enjoy the energy provided by these new questions and always look forward to the encouragement um, or even further disagreement that my answers might be able to provide. We're also vetting, by the way, potential new icebergs to join us in the studio. So if you or any of your friends or children would like to be considered for participation on a future episode of Jesus and the Meteorologist, please actually send your contact information back to the email, which is questions at com. Sounds and spells like it sounds. The word questions followed by the little at ampersand. No, that's not the ampersand. It's a little at sign. Mm-hmm. And then ice, dot com. Questions at com, And that's for anybody who would like to participate. We'll give you a quick little interview. Okay, so now we do have two questions, one serious and one not so serious. <laughs> uh, I'll do the first one, the serious one first. And um, I've kind of, uh, I don't want to stumble over it. I've written it down. Uh, in a way that I can try to make sense of it, because it's a good question. what is or what would you say the duty is the for the other passengers, the passengers who were resisting who are aware of the danger on this plane, and um, what would the, what would be their duty? And this, by the way, prior to the last shade being closed, I did clarify with the questioner, what would be the duty? Uh, what is the responsibility? How should they act um, to protect themselves? And I think that's a great question because it's a challenge to our day because I think we're in a similar circumstance where we have a a government and a business community and um, and a great segment of the population that is very similar, which is why I like this allegory, right? You, if the pilot represents the government and the flight attendants represent those in corporations that go along with the government that have – a lot of control over our day-to-day activities because we have fewer and fewer choices as to where we can buy our goods and products and things like that. And then fellow passengers would represent those citizens around us who are either not bothered by what is happening, who are too invested in their – the little things of the day, right? Whether it be their entertainment or their jobs. And I don't, I don't mean to impugn the job. We're actually going to talk about that next week. But their job becomes their highest priority over truth and the fear that they're not going to have another job if they lose one job for disobeying their employer. So you have this segment of people who work against our liberties in, in concert with the government and with big business. And so this is what the plane represents, all these groups of people, leaving two groups of people. One, you have your very courageous people who are like the man in row 29 willing to keep his shade up, even though everybody said, put your shade down, and he paid the ultimate price, right? He was thrown out of the plane. But there are other groups of people, there's another group of people on this plane who share his idea, right? Remember, they stormed, well, they didn't storm the cockpit, but they they got up and they were very vocal. And I think this question gets to the point, well, how can that be addressed? One of the things that we must do is address them in sufficient numbers. It's very easy for someone who's bigger than we are, to take out one person at a time, right? A bully can always beat up on one person, but if you go get your brothers or your friends and you come back, then it's harder for the bully to do that. So I, I advise people a lot who contact me and say, I'm about to lose my job because I'm being required to take the jab, what do I do? And they won't accept my religious liberty exemption, which we see going on all over the country. I always encourage them, please find as many people who share your ideas and your values as you can, because there is strength in numbers. And we've seen that play out, whether it's been with firemen union, police unions, we've seen nurses and doctors, we've seen the Airline Pilots Association do that. So the people on this airplane, I would start working, if there's any time in our allegory, before the plane hits the ground, working to find other people on the airplane who are willing to stand with you and to take that next step. Now, does that next step mean you have to – if there's a pilot on board, perhaps you can get through the cockpit, but I think you've got to work strategically, right? You've got to find a way to ignore the quote-unquote ambassadors of peace, get to the flight attendants and the pilot, the ones who are controlling the destination of the airplane, and do everything first in your uh, ability to persuade them that, okay – you can close your eyes all you want. You can be concerned about the carbon footprint, but you're going to die too, right, to try to make them see the light that they're also going to die. But it does, to me, come down to strength in numbers. You can't do it alone. It's very, very difficult to do it alone because they will just throw you off the plane like they did um, that individual. Good question. That gets a goal horn. All right. Then we have an unserious question, which in all fairness was asked by one of the icebergs, and it is... Uh well let Roger ask the question. Can Hogan dance? Can Hogan <laughs> dance? I don't know. I've never seen Hogan's not here today, so when he, he comes back when he comes back for an appearance. We'll have, to ask him. we'll have to let him answer that. But do you know? Have you ever seen whether Hogan can dance? I've seen Hogan dance, but
1: I doubt that he dances very often. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I
2: doubt I doubt that he dances very often. Does he dance well? <laughs> I don't know. It, not, <laughs> not, wait, not from, example, you said, not you said you've well. seen him dance. Yeah, wait. Where he doesn't him? dance very well from what I've seen. From what I've seen him Whoa. Uh, okay. where where cha- I'm, challenging, see him. I'm challenging him. No, just challenge him. He needs to work on his dances.
1: Have a dance-off next podcast.
0: And an That's all the time we have today, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks again to our icebergs, even the mean ones who criticize their fellow icebergs about their dancing abilities <laughs> hey, wait, a to our producer Rachel not a measure of someone's what, heart or soul <laughs> and we thank all of our listeners and supporters in the never ending battle for hearts and minds we aim to find and develop young men and women who like the men of Issachar understand the times and who know what to do and how can we know what we're to do unless we believe what is true my name is Kevin Kukaji and you have been listening to Jesus and the Meteorologists